name we just thank you lord for your holy spirit lord god your sweet holy spirit and your presence that's always here with us everywhere we go lord because you said in your word that you'd never leave us and you'd never forsake us lord so help us just keep that on our hearts and on our minds lord god and uh, we just ask tonight lord as we transition uh, into a time of teaching that you just help us to uh, have our hearts and our minds focused on you help us not get distracted by anything going on around us but Instead of help us to have open hearts and open minds to receive everything you have for us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And you can all make your way back to your seats.
Well, uh, most of you know me. I'm uh, Pastor Josh. I'm usually back up there behind the guitar or the piano, but uh, tonight Pastor Dave asked me if I could uh, deliver the word because uh, I guess he wanted to take the night off. I don't know why. <laughs> he just wanted to ask me if I could preach tonight. So uh, uh, I thought what I would do tonight uh, is uh, recently Pastor Dave has been doing uh, something called expository sermons where you just take a passage of the Bible uh, and you go through one verse at a time. Uh, in fact, he just on Wednesday night just did the entire book of uh, 1 Corinthians. And so uh, not maybe probably a lot of you know, but uh, Pastor Dave is actually my little brother. And uh, I cannot be outdone by my little brother, my baby brother. So uh, tonight I am going to do an expository sermon. <laughs> uh I am going to teach tonight uh, an expository sermon on Colossians chapter 3. And uh, Julie is going to be taking score for us, and we'll see who did the better expository sermon. Katie is not allowed to, allowed to judge. So, <laughs> um, But uh, in fact, if you guys want to start uh, flipping over uh, towards Colossians chapter 3, that's where we're going to be at for the entire night. Um, and... Uh, I did, I subtitled my sermon, uh, Living the New Life. And that's simply because when I looked at Colossians 3 in my Bible, uh, at the top of Colossians 3, it said Living the New Life. I thought it sounded cool. <laughs> so, uh, let's, uh, take a minute and we're just gonna start going through this together. I think Doug's gonna put it on the screen for us in case you don't have your Bibles. Um, and we'll just start, um, with verse number one. <laughs> so, uh, I'll read a verse, we'll talk about it, then we'll have a great time, and we'll go on to the next verse. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you, thank you. I'm with, my wife's heckling me from the front row, so just kidding. All right, verse 1, it says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Um, now, I, I will allude to some other scriptures as we go through this, so, uh, but we don't have to turn to them. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 uh, tells us that when we are in new Christ, we are a brand new creation. All of the old is gone so that we have uh, room for all the new that, that Jesus is bringing into our lives. And so this verse 1 is telling us uh, that when we are new in Christ, we need to focus our complete and total attention on the realities of heaven. That's where our focus needs to be, is on heaven, not on the things of earth. Um, in fact, uh, verse 2 uh, says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. So this is just continuing that thought of verse 1, that we need to make sure that our thoughts are primarily focused uh, on the things of heaven rather than on the things of earth. Um, Pastor taught us uh, not too long ago on the parable of the sower, uh, and it talks about uh, people who get their focus caught up on the things of the life uh, of life uh, to people who have it's like a seed that gets stuck in thorny ground. It says this person is so focused on the things of the world and it looks on the outside like they have a good life. Uh, but eventually they produce no fruit for the kingdom of God and they're, and they're useless for the kingdom of God because they're so distracted by the things of this world. Um Something that uh, I, Julie and I, uh, as many of you know, we served at a church uh, in Denver for many years before we moved out to California. Uh, and something that uh, our, our pastor, worship pastor there, who I served under, Pastor Jake, used to always talk about, um, is that, you know, pretty much everybody can agree that God loves every single person the exact same. He doesn't love uh, me more than, than you, and he doesn't love Pastor Dave more than the rest of us. Um, but... A follow-up question, though, is even though God loves us all the same, is everybody as useful for the kingdom of God? Is someone who's passed out, drugged up on the corner, as useful for the kingdom of God as someone like Billy Graham, who was out there holding ministry crusades and winning thousands and even millions of people to the Lord? And I would say... 
Uh, obviously, God loves both of those people the same, and they both have the same potential. But Billy Graham was doing a lot more good for the kingdom of God uh, than someone who's passed out on the corner not helping anybody, not even helping himself. Uh, I was reading that during his lifetime, Billy Graham uh, led over 2.2 million people to the Lord. That's a, that's a lot of people to win to the Lord. <laughs> um, and then you've got like the, the, that, the druggie who we would, we'd love to help them. We want to do everything we can, but it says in the, another scripture that it does us no good to save the whole world and lose our own soul. And this drug, this, the druggie is not saving himself. He's not, not, certainly not saving the world. He's not even saving himself. So either way, let's just make sure that we're all doing our best to be more like Billy Graham, being productive for the kingdom of God, uh, and thinking about the things of heaven, not thinking about getting distracted with all the things going on in the world. Um, let's keep going here. Verse 3. Uh, it says, For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. So like we were talking about uh, in Second Corinthians uh, 5.17, uh, when we are in Christ, the old things are gone. And all things are made new. Uh, something uh, I was thinking about. Uh, whenever a pastor preaches, he always calls, refers to his body as his earth suit. <laughs> and uh, we've seen, uh, like, you've seen, like, a picture of astronauts. And when you see them, they're in, like, their space suit. Um, and so when you're looking at them, you don't get to see the real astronaut. All you see is this gigantic space suit. Um, but when pastor ta- calls his body his earth suit... He's saying that when you look at us, you're not seeing the real us. The real us is our spirit on the inside. All this body is is our earth suit that we wear while we're on earth because the Bible also tells us that our real home is in heaven. And so uh, that's something we got to keep in mind is that when you look at, at us on the outside, it's not the real us. This is our earth suit. So our real life is uh, hidden in Christ is what that verse is saying. So we need to make sure that we just... This whole theme of these first three verses is just making sure we're not distracted by the things on earth. We're just focused on the things of heaven. Now, we do have things on earth to take care of, but we need to focus most of our attention on the things of heaven. Um, Verse 4, it says, And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. And we know from a multitude of scriptures that one day Jesus is coming back to earth for all of us who are born again, who are Christians. And this scripture tells us that when he comes, those of us who have completely hidden ourselves in him uh, will share in his glory when he comes back. So we need to make sure, once again, just focus completely on heaven, not distracted by the things of this earth, because then when Christ, who is really our real life, comes back for us, then we're going to share in his glory. Um, verse 5, we're uh, changing topics a little bit. And these, this is another one of those lists that Pastor Dave was talking about a few weeks ago. It's, it's a bunch of things that aren't so fun, but let us they're in the Bible. We're taking it verse by verse, so we're not going to skip anything. Let's read this together. It says, uh, uh, going off of verse 5, since we're supposed to be hidden in Christ, uh, it says, So put to death the sinful earthly things that are lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. So, uh, like I keep alluding to Second Corinthians 5.17, when we're in Christ, we're a new creation. It says, the old things are gone, the new has come, but... That means this scripture is talking about we're new on the inside. It's not talking about our outsides don't change when we become born again. So uh, believe it or not, before I was a Christian, I was just as handsome as I am now. No, you don't believe it? No. <laughs> I don't appreciate that mocking laughter, Miss Mata. Um Believe it or not, you know, some of us are just naturally endowed with these good looks. Just kidding. Um, But no, seriously, like the last time I did have to go to a doctor's checkup, and he told me I needed to lose a few pounds. And I was actually a bit offended by the way he told me. Um, He had this little stick thing, and he was going to check my tongue. 
And, and he stuck it in my mouth and he said, uh, open up and say oink. <laughs> Sorry. One of my old timey jokes. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Back to the topic at hand. <laughs> Our spirits are brand new. Our minds, our bodies do not change. So it's our responsibility on changing the outside. Um, so if we still need to lose a few pounds or whatever, uh, that doesn't change just because you accept Jesus. You still have to do your part on the outside. Um, Mrs. Pastor taught us not too long ago that uh, for everything in our lives, God has his part and then we have our part. So God's not going to do everything for us. We have to do our parts as well. Uh, it's a, in this case, God makes our spirits brand new, but we have to work on disciplining our minds, our bodies, etc. Um, the scripture in this one we just read, verse 5, it gives us a few examples of the things that we need to get rid of. Uh, it says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Do not be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Um, and every time I read this list, something that sticks out to me is that there uh, is one thing on this list that is a little bit different from the other ones. And to me, the one item on this list that's a little bit different uh, is actually sexual immorality. And I, every t- I feel like every time I preach, I, t- I mention this, so I'll, I'll bring it up again. Um, there's literally no excuse for sexual immorality in the body of Christ among Christians. That's something that we just have no excuse for, and I'll tell you why. Um, as we go through that list, uh, it, it says it, one of the things on there is their impurity. As I was thinking about it, there's no way for a Christian to live an impure life and inherit the kingdom of God. There's just there's no way around it. Lust. There's no way to lust to just be a lustful, nasty, creepy person and inherit the kingdom of God. The same thing, evil desires. You can't have evil desires. You can't be greedy. You can't have these and still be a righteous person. But sex is the one thing on this list that isn't an outlier, which is why I harp on it so much almost every time I preach. I only preach on two things. Like I was thinking about it the other day. The only two things I ever preach on are money and sex for some reason. And I don't do it intentionally, but I guess I just like talking about the topics that make people feel awkward. I, don't, <laughs> I guess I'm just good at making people feel awkward. Yeah. Um, because sex is the one thing that Christians don't have to give up. But the reason we don't have to give it up is because while there's no right way to lust, there's no right way to have evil desires, there is a right way to have sex. And and let's flip over. In fact, I'm going to have us flip to one other chapter real quick just to prove my point. So if you want, you can flip over to 1 Corinthians 7, verses 2 through 3. Flip over there real quick, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Sorry, Doug, I forgot about that one. I told you I wasn't going to have to flip anywhere else. (laughs) But let's read this together. Uh, I think he's got it up on the screen there. Okay, it says, Because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. And so, to be a Christian, we do have to give up lust, we have to give up evil desires, greed, etc. But you don't have to give up sex. What you do have to do is that you have to get married. <laughs> and as I was thinking about this, we've got so many different ordained ministers uh, in this congregation that any one of us would be happy to help you if you need to get married. If you've got someone that you're, you know, that you're already sleeping with or whatever, just get married and make it right. <laughs> Um, 
And just to be clear, these sexual requirements apply to everyone, regardless of if you are someone who's a teenager who's never been married, uh, you know, a college age who's never been married, someone who's been divorced, widowed, whatever your circumstances, you cannot have sex with someone you're not married to and expect to have the full blessing of God on your life. So, you can keep having sex, you just have to get married. In fact, uh, we've got so many ministers, one of us will be glad to help you out. See Pastor Dave after service. He, I'm offering his discount rate. <laughs> Let's keep going. <laughs> verse 6 of uh, Colossians 3, back to verse uh, Colossians. It says, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. So these sins that we were just reading, this lust, this greed, this all of this nasty stuff, it makes God angry. And trust me, you wouldn't like him when he's angry. Sorry. You guys make me lose my spot. If you think the Incredible Hulk is no fun when he's angry, you definitely do not want to deal with an angry God. Let's keep going. Verse 7. It says, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. And I've said here, you can tell the different types of tree. Uh, the Bible says that you can tell what type of tree it is by the type of fruit that it has on it. So if you see a tree with apples on it, you can tell, hey, that's an apple tree. Out here we, uh, in Southern California, we have lots of orange trees. So you would expect to see oranges growing on an orange tree. You wouldn't expect to see apples growing on an orange tree. So uh, people who are still a part of this world, we would expect to see them producing the fruits that we read about in verse 5, the lust, the greed, the anger, all of that nasty stuff. But when we're a part of, of when we get, become born again and accept Jesus, we should no longer be growing the fruit of this world. We should have the fruit of the Spirit, which is something that uh, we won't talk too much about tonight. But um, you shouldn't have these things in your life. It says you, you used to have these things when your life was still a part of this world, but we're not a part of this world anymore. Uh, verse 8, it says, Now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. And I'm saying here you can tell if someone is part of this world if they have these fruits. Anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. As Christians, we should not be producing these things in our lives. Christians cannot have fits of rage and anger. Christians cannot slander others. Christians should not have dirty language and be cussing all the time. Um, in fact, on the topic of cussing, pastors always told us the story about how when he was a, t- a young teenager, like 12 or 13, uh, he, there was nobody in his family that went to church except his grandma. So he decided he was going to go to uh, his grandma's church and try to turn his life over to the Lord. And so he did. He started going every Sunday with his grandma. And then he found out they were having like a youth Bible camp. And so he went with uh, uh, to Bible camp at church. But uh, he was trying to hang around with some of the, uh, the youth leaders, I guess, because he wanted to learn more about God. But as he was walking behind him, he heard him just uh, telling the same dirty jokes and cussing like his dad and mom did at home. Uh, and so he just decided, you know, what's the point of being the only one in my family who goes to church if everybody at church is going to act the same way as my family at home? I may as well just stay at home. And so uh, because of that, he just gave up on the Lord. And for many, many years, uh, he didn't serve the Lord at all. And he didn't, uh, that was when he was a young teenager, he didn't come back to the Lord until he was in his late 20s. And so I was thinking, as productive as Pastor's been for the Lord, he's served the Lord faithfully ever since then, and you won't catch Pastor cussing or anything like that because it made such an impression on him when he was younger. Um, As productive as he's been for the Lord since then, imagine how much better he'd have done if he'd had like a 15 or a 20-year head start instead of losing all of his teens and all of his 20s. So all of us... We need to just watch our mouths and make sure that we're not producing these, not having fits of rage, anger, not cussing in front of the kids. We shouldn't be cussing in general, but especially we should not. We should watch our mouths in front of the little ones. The Bible says that you don't want to cause a little one to stumble. 
Let's keep going. <laughs> um, verse 9, it says, Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and its wicked deeds. As Christians, we should not lie to each other, and really we shouldn't lie to anyone for that matter. Um, as Christians, we're supposed to strip off anything that is related to our previous lifestyle. Uh, in verse 10, it says, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. So even though we're brand new on the inside, we still have to work on becoming more and more like Jesus in our thoughts and our actions. This is something that doesn't happen overnight. It's something that takes time, and it's something that we have to work on every single day. Uh, verse 11, it says, In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. This is something that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this book of Corinthians, and this is something that he always had to remind people in the early church all the time. They thought that uh, in order to become a Christian, you had to first become Jewish, and then you could become a Christian. They thought you couldn't just become a Christian unless you were first Jewish. And so there was always a big argument. You see it talks about it, and he says it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. A Gentile is a non-Jewish person. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised. Uh, and they all thought that you had to be Jewish and you had to be circumcised or else you could not be a Christian. Um, one of the things that, they, that a Jewish person has to go through is they have to go through the ceremonial circumcision process when they reach a certain age. And these early churches thought that you couldn't become a Christian if you weren't circumcised. So I was thinking about it. If a lot of them have their ways, and you've heard me say this before, every single church nowadays would have our baptismal like we have back here, and then off to the other side, they, have this, they would have the circumcision room because they thought that's the only way you could become a Christian. And I, for one, am glad that we do not... It says it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised because, uh, you know... I had a little bit of a rough time when I was circumcised. Um, it's a little embarrassing, but afterwards, I couldn't walk for a year. Sorry. Oh, I, oh, I forgot I was circumcised when I was first born. So, <laughs> Sorry. I, I should probably lay off the awkward jokes. <laughs> okay. Anyways, anyways, this verse is really telling us that all that matters is that we have Christ in us and that he lives in us. It doesn't matter if we're Jewish or Gentile, if we're barbaric, if we're slave or free. All that matters is that Christ lives in all of us. So let's keep going. Verse 12, it says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. And so uh, verse 10 we read earlier, it was telling us all the things that we need to strip off. we got to strip off, uh, uh, you know, anger, rage, and all of our sinful nature. But instead, what we're supposed to do, because we aren't supposed to walk around with nothing on, we have to instead put on these things. Tenderhearted mercy. Uh, one translation I read that I like says compassion. So as Christians, we should be compassionate. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We need to be compassionate. We need to be kind, humble, gentle, patient. Instead of being full of anger and rage, we need these, pretty much all the opposite of that. The opposite of that that we read in those earlier verses is what Christians should have. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Um, let's read verse 13. This is something else that's really important for Christians. It says... We need to make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. It says, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We are supposed to love each other, but since not everyone is perfect, we're supposed to make allowance for each other's faults. Um, I was thinking about my wife, Julie, and she is a lot of times a great example of, of this because contrary to popular be belief, I am far from perfect. I'm far from the perfect husband. Um, 
And my beautiful, amazing, lovely wife realizes this, and she makes allowances for my many, many faults and sticks with me despite the fact that I get up here and make stupid jokes in front of the whole church when I probably shouldn't be doing that. In fact, I may not be invited back to preach. They'll just stick me behind the keyboard next time. But my wife still loves me because she knows what she was getting into when she married me. <laughs> you know, they, they have those commanding bar commercials that say, you know, you're not yourself when you're hungry. And in the morning, my wife knows this. So she boils my water for me when I'm making my coffee so that whenever I wake up, the cup water's ready and then I make the coffee because she's got the water boil already. Um, and then I can return to my normal self. <laughs> but she know, you know, we all know the Lord forgave us, so we have to be able to forgive each other and put up with each other. It says make allowance for each other's faults. Um, verse 14. It says, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. So uh, in verse 12, it was talking about all of the clothes we should wear, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. But everything that we wear, out of all of that, love is the one thing that kind of ties it all together. So we need to have love. The Bible says that faith, our faith works by love. And in the book of John, it tells us that the one thing that will show everyone else that we're Christians is that we have love for one another. So love is the most important thing that we need as far as the, all of these things that it was talking about. Uh, verse 15. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. As Christians, our hearts should always be full of peace. And this peace is something that comes from the Lord. It's something that our minds can't even fathom it. We're supposed to have peace no matter what's going on around us, no matter what circumstances are going on around us. We are to live in peace with those around us, and one way we live in peace with those around us is by making allowances for their faults. But not only are we supposed to have peace, the end of this verse says that we need to always be thankful. Uh, we need to make sure we're always thankful no matter what's going on around us. First Thessalonians 5 tells us uh, to give thanks in every circumstance, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, and this doesn't say, a lot of people get confused and think that it says, give thanks for every circumstance. Uh, but this verse says, give thanks in every th- circumstance. Because not everything that happens is from the Lord, but even if something bad happens from the devil, we can still be thankful in that time as God rescues us from that situation. So in every situation, give thanks. So that's why this verse 15 says, always be thankful. Um, verse 16, it says, Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. So there it's talking about being thankful again, having those thankful hearts. Um, but another verse says that we need to, another translation says that we need to let uh, the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Our lives need to be full of the word of God. Uh, Psalm 1 tells us that we're blessed when we don't take counsel from ungodly people. And along these same lines, this verse tells us that instead we should counsel each other with the wisdom that comes from God's word. So we need to just always be full of the God of the Word of God and ready to help each other, counsel each other with that. Um, let's keep going here. Verse 17. It says, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, there's that word thanks again, uh, through him to God the Father. Uh, this is one of my life verses, because I always have to remind myself that wherever I go, I'm uh, I'm supposed to be a representative of the Lord Jesus. So whatever I'm doing, uh, I'm representing Jesus. That's why uh, back in the 90s, we used to all have these little bracelets that said WWJD on them. And it was uh, stood for what would Jesus do? We were supposed to remind ourselves before we did something, is this something that Jesus would do? Because um, if we're going to be a representative of Jesus, then we should do things that he would want us to do. 
And uh, this, you know, before I open my mouth, I just always have to remind myself, is this representing Jesus, what I'm getting ready to say? And it uh, helps me to not say or do something stupid. Uh, let's go to verse 18. We're going to switch topics here a little bit. And this is, uh, these next few verses are ones I read almost every day myself. Um, the first one here in verse 18, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Um, every time I read this verse, I like to remind the husbands uh, that this verse is directed towards the wives and not towards us. So it's not our job to make sure that our wives are submitting to us. Uh, in fact, if your wife is not submitting to you, that is between her and God. All you can do is just butt out and pray for her. It's not your job to make your wife submit to you. That, that's totally between her and God. So if you think that it's your job to make sure your wife submit to you, then you have got the wrong impression from this scripture. It doesn't say, husbands, make sure your wife submit to you. It says, wives, submit to, their hus- to your husbands. So that's between them and God. Um, now for the wives... It does say that you need to submit, and rather than doing a big, long debate and, and study on submission, from tonight, let's just simply say that to submit means to listen to your husbands. So, wives, listen to your husbands. And husbands, that's between them and God. Verse 19, it says, Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. This is one that I always have to remind myself of. I need to make sure that I'm loving my wife, even if I haven't had my morning coffee yet, even if the water's still boiling, even if it's not boiled yet. <laughs> Just kidding. Even if you still, we still have to love our wives, and we have to never be harsh with them. Sometimes if I catch, uh, I'm not that harsh of a person anyways. Pastor Dave and I, for some reason or another, are super laid back. But if I catch myself being too harsh or too sharp, I'll always come to Julie and say, I'm sorry, I was being harsh with you. Um, and it, it's something I have to just do to, like we were reading earlier about being humble. I have to be, apologize anytime I come across too harsh to her like that. So, uh, even if my wife is not submitting to me, I'm still required to love her and to not treat her harshly. So that's, that's for all of us men. Love your wives. Verse 20. And this is, uh, in fact, I, uh, this is one of the first verses I've taught, we've taught all of our children. And in fact, I made the, I had them all quoted, uh, in the car on the way over here today, because, uh, Hedemius knew I was preaching tonight, and he asked what I was preaching on. I said I was preaching Colossians 3, and I asked him if he remembered verse 20. And I gave him the first word, and then after that he remembered it. <laughs> but Colossians 3 verse 20 says, Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. And so, uh, my boys, more or less, uh, as most of you know, we've got four boys and we've got a fifth boy on the way in, uh, November, or September 11th actually. So we've got five boys coming and then no more after that. But, uh, we're, this is something we've been striving to teach our kids, all of our boys. And most of them have it memorized more or less. Uh, now we're working on teaching them to not only hear the word, but to do the word. <laughs> so we're, uh, Yes, you can repeat the verse. Now let's try to actually do what it says. Uh, and here, uh, verse 21. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Um, and as I'm reading this, I'm guessing that maybe 2,000 years ago when this verse was written, things probably were not all that different from the way they are today. Because I think that a lot of fathers, for some reason, struggle with wanting to aggravate their children. I know it's something uh, that I have to always resist, the urge to aggravate my children. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, I'm thinking of my son, uh, my middle child, Joaquin. We call him Kiki. Um, he loves sweets and he loves candy. And uh, I always hear him in the kitchen bugging his mom. Mom, I want, I want a candy bar. I want a candy bar. And... Uh, for some reason, I'll always be like, how about if I give you a thump bar? And I'll be like, I'm going to thump you right now. And, and I'm not gonna really going to thump him in the head. But the reason I do it, and you can all can pray for me on this, is because it aggravates him so much. 
He'll be like, Mom, Mom, Dad said he's going to give me a thump bar. <laughs> I'm not really, and then he always tells on me to his mom. But see, it's just a, that's one of my temptations is to aggravate my children. And that's one I need to work on is not aggravating my children. So all the rest of us fathers, don't aggravate your children. And you all can just pray for me on this one because I'm, I should not be aggravating my, my three-year-old son. <laughs> uh, verse 22. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Um, now, I know this verse says slaves and masters, but I think that... Uh, a more applicable modern translation might say employees and employers. So this is another one I'm always having to remind myself on. That's why I said earlier, I read this this section of scripture almost every day. Um, I do work from home, so it'd be very easy for me to just slack off and only work hard when my manager's asking how things are going or whatever. But this verse specifically tells us that we're supposed to work hard all the time and not just when our bosses are watching. And so uh, it'd be easy for me working from home, but I have to remind myself, even if, even if I don't see my boss around, I'm still going to work just as hard because like we, uh, we're getting ready to read, we're ultimately, in fact, let's read it real quick. Verse 23, it says, uh, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. So the reason that we're supposed to work hard whether uh, our boss is looking or not, is because ultimately we're not working for our boss. We're ultimately working for the Lord. Pastor Dave was talking about that a little bit this morning. He's like, if we're believing God, praying for better jobs and for promotions, we need to be working as hard as we can, no matter whether we have a nice boss or a mean boss, whether he's watching or whether he could care less. We're working for Jesus. And if we're working for Jesus, the, the book of Psalms says that that's where promotion comes. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. Promotion comes from the Lord. So if we're working for the Lord, he's going to raise us up. We're not looking at our boss or our job or our company. We're looking to the Lord. Uh, verse 24, it says, Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and the master you are serving is Christ. Uh, so just like we were talking about earlier, uh, you know, ultimately our source, our provider is the Lord. It's not our job. And our inheritance, it comes from, from the Lord because we're serving the Lord Jesus. Uh, Philippians 4.19 says that God is the one who supplies our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's not a human ver- uh, employer that's providing for us, even though the Lord may use them. As we work for them, the Lord can use them to bless us. But ultimately, we're serving the Lord. We're not serving our employer. Um, we have to always remember that God is our source, not the employer. And this is how, uh, you know, some of us that have ups and downs on our jobs with layoffs, etc., we can stay at peace uh, because we have this revelation that God is our source uh, and not our employer. So it doesn't matter what happens with our employer, like Des at Home Depot. It doesn't matter what's going on over at Home Depot uh, or Lawrence out at the base. What's going on there? Because God's their source, not these companies. And God's going to take care of them no matter what goes on with that company. I've had lots of this in my own life, and it, I don't want to sit here talking about it all night, but that's something that's just the Lord's really revealed to me. I'm looking to, to God as my source uh, and not to these employers. So even if they're acting crazy, I'm not worried because God's going to take care of me. Um, verse 25, uh, it says, But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done. For God has no favorites. So ultimately, we, we reap what we sow. If you sow bad seeds all the time, you receive bad things in your life. If you sow good seeds, then you receive good things. God has no favorites. You're not the exception. You can't do the opposite of all the things that we've been talking about all night and expect to be blessed. You still have to do the right things. You have to sow good seeds uh, in order to reap good things. And like we were talking about at the beginning, if you keep sowing good seeds, you'll reap good things, and you'll be able to keep living this good new life that the Lord promised us. And 
that is all 25 verses. And that is actually all I have for tonight. So uh, hopefully, since we covered an entire chapter, I hope that there was something that will apply to at least some of us. So uh, we'll have Ray come back up here and we'll sing a little bit more together. But if you want, you can all stand up together. I guess we can have the uh, uh, prayer team come up if they want. If my wife would forgive me, maybe she would come stand with me. Put her on the spot there. But what we'll do uh, is if you, if anybody would like any of us to pray with you, you can come up and see us. Uh, otherwise, we'll just sing with Ray for a minute. Um, and then uh, after that, we'll get ready to wrap up the service. So uh, go ahead, Ray, and then uh, come up if you need prayer. Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be Your living. 
right. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to go ahead and close things out tonight. So, hey, did Josh do an all right job tonight? Amen. Who gives a better expository sermon? No, I'm just joking. Don't, don't. <laughs> Amen. All right. Praise God. It was a fun time. And uh, anyway, we love everybody. And remember, we got service on Wednesday, Young Adults Friday, 630 at Denny's. And then uh, this coming Sunday is Father's Day. So be here for it. We're going to have a party and a blast. And there's no Sunday night service that night. All right. Oh, and uh, there is servant leadership this Thursday night. For those of you that have been to that, it's kind of a chance to get together and go over some of the business of the church and uh, and work on some things. We break up into some groups and and uh, just look at some different areas that we can tackle to uh, make some improvements around here. So anyway, long story short, the servant leadership is Thursday night at 630. So that would be a great chance for you to get a little bit more involved. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and close out in prayer. Then we will do our Barstow Faith Confession. All right, let's go. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for what we've seen in your word tonight, Lord. The whole chapter there, of Colossians chapter 3, and Lord, ultimately our desire is to live more and more like you, Lord. We want to we wanna be better for your kingdom, God. We want to serve you, and we want to honor you with our lives. And we know that as we do that, yes, Father, you will bless us, but we love you, and we want to give our best for you. We ask that you would use us this week to be the light of the world everywhere we go. Use us to show your love to those around us. We love you and we thank you so much, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, can everybody say amen? Amen. All right. Let's speak some faith over Barstow tonight. Let's go. We declare that Barstow is a blessed city. Our families are blessed. Our schools are blessed. Our churches are blessed. Barstow is healed. Barstow is prospering. Barstow is safe. Barstow is strong. Barstow is surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Barstow is full of love, joy, and peace. Barstow is full of the glory of God. Barstow is coming to Jesus. Barstow is saved in Jesus' name. Amen. We will see you on Wednesday.